Corinthians 15, I want to read the last verse, excuse me, in that chapter. And I'm about, I've about gotten to the point that I've given up trying to prepare and preach series. You know, series go three or four weeks. I get about one message done. I'm ready to preach the second one, had it prepared, and then I just came upstairs. I told Kelly this week, I said, I'm just not, I'm not feeling this second message today. I'm this week, I'm just not feeling it. And the Lord just began to speak to me. So uh, I, I just, I do better with standalone messages. You know, all the church growth guys will tell you, you got to have a preaching calendar, and they plan it from January to December. If that works for them, that's fantastic. That doesn't work for me. So I'm just going to do what works for me. Is that all right? If it's not all right, it'll have to be all right, because that's what I'm going to do today. 1 Corinthians 15. Last verse right here. Many of you could quote this with me. Verse 58. Here's what it says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast and be immovable. I want to preach this morning on this little thought. Don't be moved. If I could sing, I'd break out the old hymn. I shall not be. I shall not be moved. Just like a tree planted by the waters. Now, when I mean don't be moved, that means by situations or circumstances. I, I'm convinced there's some folks that come to church on Sunday and have that mentality. I'm not going to be. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not, you, listen, when we come into this place, we should be moved by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Something should stir us. Now, you don't have to shout and run the aisles and swing from the chandeliers and act like I do. That's all fine. But I promise when you get to heaven, you will respond to the glory of God. You won't have a choice. The Bible said we're going to cast our crowns at his feet. And I believe what's going to happen because the Bible said every knee is going to bow. Every knee. That means every one of us. I, I don't know how many people are going to go to heaven, but there'll be millions upon millions upon millions of people. I believe at one time. Now, I'm just imagining here. I don't know why I'm saying this. It's because I feel like it. Then I'll preach. Simultaneously, Brother Turpin, we're just going to bow on our knees. And I believe the angelic choir was going to already have struck up that song. And there'll be this voice in heaven as one that'll say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I don't have to wait till I get there to tell you He's Lord. He's Lord today. He's Lord of my life. He's Lord of my family. He's Lord of this church. He's Lord of all. Listen, there's folks all across this land that don't want to acknowledge that. They don't have to. I'm declaring today that Jesus has always been Lord. He'll always be Lord. And every knee one day will bow and declare that he's Lord. Would you put your hands together today and praise Jesus Christ as Lord of all? Hallelujah. Let me pray. I'll let you be seated. Father, I bless you today for the word. I bless you for worship. I bless you for the work of the Holy Spirit that I sense in this place today. Touch us as I just communicate this little message you've laid on my heart today. I bless you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. God bless you. Sit down. Pastor Tony, thank you. 
the writings of the Apostle Paul are nothing, in my opinion, nothing short of amazing. He penned over half of the New Testament. He was a church-planting expert, if you will. Powerful writer of the truth and could hold his own when he stood up to open his mouth and declare the works and the word and to witness about Jesus. This passage of Scripture that I read to you comes from one of two letters. The Apostle Paul penned to a church at a place called Corinth. It was a church that Paul founded. It was a church that Paul planted. It was a church that Paul established. It was a church that was planted in a city that was the most important city in Greece during Paul's time. It was the city of Corinth. It was a city that was well known for a lot of things, but it was well known more for its immorality than it was for anything else. And Paul writes 1 Corinthians, and he speaks to them about the the problems and the pressures and the struggles that come with being in a church that's been called out of a pagan society. It was a a city that was known for immorality. It was a city that was known for its religion of idolatry. It was a city that was a hub, a bustling hub of worldwide commerce. And it was in the midst of that city that Paul planted that church. And for 18 months, if you study history out, Paul stayed with that church. And Paul pastored that church. And Paul led that church. And that that church was strengthened. It became a flourishing, prosperous, prosperous church. But it had its fair share of problems like any church nowadays has. You do know that there are no perfect churches. And if you go looking for one, when you get there, you'll mess it up because you're not perfect. And I've listen, I've seen folks, I've been pastoring for 15 years. I've seen folks come and I've seen folks go, and I've been given so many reasons as to why. And I tell them if you're looking for the perfect church, When you get there, when you find it, you'll mess it up as soon as you walk in the door because there are no perfect people, which means there is no perfect church, but there is a perfect Lord that makes everything all right. Amen? So Paul writes to this church, and he writes to them as he's left them and he'd established the church, but he gets wind and word that some things are not going well. And if you study about the church of Corinth, you will see that they had some of the same issues that churches have today in the 21st century. Paul wrote to them and he had to address immorality that was going on in the church, sexual immorality that was going on in the church. And if you read some of the things that he addressed, it's a little, it's almost scary to think that 
thousands of years later, we still have some of the same problems in the church today. I don't even, I don't even need to go there. Because here's the truth. God created a sexual relationship to be between one man and one woman only in the covenant of marriage. Nothing more and nothing less. There's immorality in the church. There are factions in the church that Paul is dealing with. People that have broken off over here and doing their own thing and creating dissension and discord. I know what you're thinking, Pastor, are we having some problems in the church? Why are you preaching this? Not at all. I'm going to get to my point in a minute, but I've got to lay this foundation for you. And it's amazing to me that in the 21st century church, there's immorality in the church. There are factions that will rise up in the church. You've always got a few that want to break off and do their own thing and pull some people with them. And you know, Have you ever noticed that and I can preach this to you because things are pretty peaceful here. Lord, help me. I might not should have said that. <clears throat> and you can't, what, listen, when somebody gets mad and they want to, they, they can't just get mad by themselves. You ever notice that? They got to get somebody else to get along with them and get mad with them. And they can't just get mad quietly. They got to create a bunch of discord and confusion and make life hard for a bunch of people. I've never understood it. Listen, so if you're going to get mad, go get mad by yourself and pout in a corner, but don't take anybody with you and run your mouth and get anybody else on. Just get mad, then get over it and love Jesus. Can I be a pastor for a minute? Pastor, what happened to you this week? I'm telling you nothing. Let me just lay this foundation for you. He's dealing with immorality, and factions, and he, he, he writes to them, and he, he talks to them, and gives them some instruction on how they should handle themselves, and what they need to do. There's conduct and practices that the church is involved in there that Paul's not pleased with. As you follow the letter uh, there in 1 Corinthians that he writes, he starts talking to them about abusing the Lord's Supper. And he has to give them instructions on how they should come to partake of communion. They're, they're abusing spiritual gifts. So throughout the, the 16 chapters that comprise that first letter, Paul hones in on, he highlights, and he hits a number of different themes and subjects and topics that he has to deal with as it relates to the church. But when he gets to the 15th verse. I mean, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he starts talking about how they should come before the Lord's table and partake of the Lord's Supper. I mean, you got some folks that were coming because they were hungry and wanted to eat. So listen, if you're hungry, eat at home. This is a sacred moment. In 1 Corinthians 12, he starts talking about unity in the body and diversity in the body and spiritual gifts and how they fit in the church. In 1 Corinthians 13, you've got the love chapter, that love never fails. In 1 Corinthians 14, he starts talking again about spiritual gifts, and he, he focuses in on tongues and interpretation and how it, should, how it should function and operate in the body. But when he gets to 1 Corinthians 15, his, his tone changes. And he, he starts, it appears to me that he's writing from this eternal perspective. There's 58 verses in 1 Corinthians 15. If you make your way through that chapter, you'll, you will hear the eternal perspective that Paul has when he, he writes about a risen Lord. He talks about the resurrected believer. He talks about a returning Christ. 
He talks about that last great enemy, death, finally being defeated. He, he talks about every vice in the believer's life, every stronghold, once and for all, forever being broken and victory finally coming to the life of the believer. And 1 Corinthians 15 just drips with hope and optimism. You know why? That Paul could write with such hope and he could, he could write with such optimism. You know why 1 Corinthians 15, he could talk like he did? Because Jesus Christ was risen and a resurrected Lord brings hope to every situation. But he says something. He says... Moreover, brethren, and he concludes the 15th chapter, be, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. You know what Paul is simply telling them there, I believe, as I read that? He's saying, moreover, brethren, or church, listen to me. You just got to hang in there. You just got to hang in there. Don't be moved. Be steadfast. And no matter what happens or what comes, just hang in there. You know, sometimes the only option we have is to just hang in there. You can't run. You can't tuck tail and hide. You can't get away from it. You can't just uh, uh, you know, close your eyes and think it's going to go away. Sometimes the only option you have is to just hang in there. And Paul was simply saying to them, hang in there and don't be moved. Can I preach this for a few minutes this morning? And he says, be steadfast. That word steadfast there means to be, now listen, means to be seated well or to have a solid base. Be steadfast. Have a, have a strong foundation. Be seated. Be steadfast. Have a solid base. If you study the word out, it means to be morally fixed or firm in purpose or in mind. So Paul is not just speaking to them from a, a physical sense of be steadfast, but he's saying spiritually and by all means in a moral sense because you are living in the middle of, immor of immorality and filth and sensuality. And listen to me, church, you've got to be morally fixed and firm because people will come along and try to sway you and push you off what you know and suck you in to the things that are happening. So he says, be steadfast. Have a solid base. Have a, have a solid foundation. Be fixed or firm. Have your mind made up that you're going to serve this resurrected Lord no matter what happens. Be steadfast. And can I encourage you today, in the midst of a very pluralistic society, in a world that is no longer teetering on the edge of a moral slippery slope, we stepped over a long time ago. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter what Washington preaches or what politicians legislate. Whatever you do, make up your mind. You're going to have a strong, moral, spiritual foundation. You're going to build your life and base your life 
on the truth of the word of God. It may not be popular. You may not get any popularity votes, but it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the world does. I choose to live my life based upon the word of God. I kind of feel like Joshua. Joshua 24 and 15. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we made up our mind a long time ago. We will serve the Lord. I can't tell you the times over the last, I don't know, year or two. You do realize I have not one. I have two teenagers, two in my house right now. At the same time, one of them's here this morning on the front row. The other one, I'm a balanced man. So he comes to me and says, Dad, they're having the club championship this weekend at the golf course. Do you think me and my buddy could play in it? And I said to him, certainly. You go to church every single Sunday. Help yourself. Have a good time. And by the way, right before I came up here to speak, I get this text. He says, Dad, I'm one back off of the lead going into number nine. I said, fantastic. Keep me updated. He's playing with 40 and 50-year-old men. I said, don't beat those old guys too bad, Jensen. They'll be mad at you. And I've got two teenagers in my house. And I sat at my table on Friday, and my teenage son is, is texting me during school. And I'm reading these text messages, and here's what I know. This is not him. Somebody's influencing him to drop these ideas on me, and I knew it, and it made me really mad. Dad, can we check out at 1230 and come play a practice round? No. Well, we want to go to this ball. And I'm looking at that, and I, I told Kelly, I said, that's not Jensen. So I, 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 it, was, it wasn't that big of a deal, but I, I sat there, and I thought, my God, he's a 16, JC's 13. I have a lot of years left to raise teenagers. I felt really stressed. And I can't tell you, I told you that to this, I can't tell you the times that I've one or two of them have said, well, so-and-so's parents, and I looked at them and said, I don't care what so-and-so's parents do. They're not my children. You are, and if I don't believe it's in your best interest, that's why I said, I could care less what your friends or their parents think. And then you get a whatever, and whatever, see you later. Because here's the truth, we're living in a world now the world will call you to compromise and call you to bend and buckle and break under pressure and do what's popular and do what everybody else says is right. But listen, we made up our minds in the Gore household. We're going to base our life on the truth of the Word of God. I'm not worried about being popular. I'm not worried if people like me, but I am concerned if I please the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the Bible instructs us and teaches us, that's how we're going to live our lives. And that's the way we're going to walk and live in our household. Now, I know what you're saying, Pastor, you're awful dogmatic. You're being hard. I'd hate to be your kids. No, you wouldn't because we have made up our minds and decided we're living by the Word of God. We will serve the Lord. I don't care if you clap. don't matter to me one bit. I'm just going to preach today. Because in this world right now, listen, they'll call you and they'll urge you and push you to do things. But listen, you can't buckle under the pressure. You can't buckle under the pressure. And Paul right here is writing to a church that's in the midst of a pagan-filled society. 
And Paul's instructing and Paul's teaching the church, this is what you need to do, this is how you need to act, this is how you need to carry yourselves. Let me hurry. And he writes 1 Corinthians 15. And it, it drips with hope because Jesus Christ is risen. And he says, be steadfast. Morally be solid. Then he says this, and I'm going to get to this last part. He says, be immovable. Now I want you to do something for me. I need you to help me. I want you to participate. Look at your neighbor and tell them, don't be moved. Go ahead and tell them. Now look at your other neighbor if you've got one and tell them. Say, don't be moved. Come on, tell them, don't be moved. So be steadfast, right? Have a good moral base and be immovable. I love that word. That word immovable means this. It means to be firm without changing status or position, or it means to be firmly persistent. That means that no matter what comes your way, no matter what happens, you have to be firmly rooted and grounded. Your faith is strong and your mind is made up that nothing is going to move me. And I feel like the Holy Spirit sent me by today to tell this congregation, don't be moved. No matter what the doctor says, don't be moved. No matter what you see right now, don't be moved. No matter what it looks like right now, don't be moved. No matter what you think you know or don't know, listen, don't be moved. Be steadfast and be immovable. And here's what you know as well as I do. We are moved by our five senses. Can anybody just say amen today? I know you're awake. We're moved by what we see. I know none of you are like that. None of you are carnal, none of you are fleshly, none of you operate based on how you feel. All of you are spiritual, and you don't have any issues with that. I do. We're moved by our five senses. We're moved by what we see. We're moved by what we hear. God knows. The Lord above knows that the media spews enough propaganda and nonsense, it causes people to be moved. And I want to tell you, it's not nearly as bad as the media portrays it to be. And if you believe everything you hear on the news and everything you read on Facebook, it's time to wake up and get your head out of the sand because everything the media tells you is not true. Everything you read on Facebook, it's not true. Pastor, really? Really? It's not true. We're removed by what we see. We're removed by what we hear. Now, our five senses, our smell, our taste, our touch. So when I think of touch, feel, listen, we are oftentimes moved by what we feel. And you cannot be moved by what you feel. You have to be moved by what you know based on the Word of God. And that is what we call faith. The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by our sight. Don't be moved based on what your five senses are telling you. But go to the book. Go to the Word. Test it by your faith faith and don't be moved. Somebody say it. Say, don't be moved. Let me take you to a story 
And I'm going to use this story and give you some points. I'm going to close. Let me keep you in the life of the Apostle Paul. He writes this, be steadfast, be immovable. And over in the book of Acts chapter 27, the Apostle Paul, if you follow his life, once he found the Lord, listen, he was a rebel rouser against the church and the people of God. I mean, he, you know, they, he was the one responsible for the stoning of Stephen. They laid their garments at the feet of Paul. Paul said, I or Saul at the time. You know, Saul had this great experience with Christ on the road to Damascus, saw the bright light, got knocked off his horse. And it was his salvation experience. And God changed his name from Saul to Paul, and God changed his nature, right? Remember that story? And all of a sudden, instead of going to and fro across the land and persecuting Christians, Paul became this amazing soul winner. And he challenged the tradition of the day, and he defied the, the religious leaders, and he, he had no problem preaching Jesus everywhere he went, Aunt B. It got him in trouble. Got him arrested on numerous occasions. Life threatened, flogged and whipped and beaten. He, he endured it for the sake of Christ. And we get down here to Acts chapter 27, Paul has appealed to the highest power in the land, Caesar. He's appealed his case, and they've brought him up on all kinds of charges for stirring up rebellion and sedition. It's all kind of stuff because he preached Jesus. And Paul is put on a boat with 275 other prisoners, I believe. And they're heading out toward Rome where Paul can stand trial before Caesar and plead his case. I don't have time to go into all the detail, but here's, here's the, the, the bottom line of the story. Paul gets on that ship, and he had warned them, the skies don't look good, it looks threatening, we probably ought not leave, and they left anyways. They lifted anchor, they set sail, and as they're on their way, the Bible tells us that they encounter this horrific, violent storm. The Bible calls it a Eurocladon, which is, we would know it as a nor'easter. Violent, the Bible called it tempestuous winds. Violent winds, violent storm. I mean, they're throwing, if you read the story, they're throwing cargo overboard to lighten the load of the ship. They haven't eaten anything in 14 days. They haven't seen the stars or the moon or sun or anything for two weeks. It's a bad situation. And that, that, that ship is in the middle of that horrific storm. And as they're, as they're making their way through, and it looks and appears that the storm is almost over. The Bible said that the, that the, the ship came up on some ground and some, they, 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 they realized they were getting close to shore. And they were afraid that they were going to run up on the rocks and tear the ship apart. So the Bible said in Acts 27, 29, that they dropped four anchors. They dropped four anchors, verse 29 says, from the stern, and they prayed for day to come. Now, here's what I want to tell you, and I'm going to move real fast. Those four anchors speak to me about four things the Apostle Paul did in this chapter that helped him not to be moved. And I want to tell you, they'll help you not to be moved. Are you ready, number one? They're really fast. If we're, if we're going to stay steadfast and immovable in this present world we're living in and whatever you're going through right now, listen, Paul announced his assurance. 
Let me read something to you. Here's what he said. He said in verse 22, And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me, verse 23, this night an angel of the God to whom I serve, or whom I belong and to whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid. You know what Paul was doing? Paul was announcing his assurance. And if you are going to stay steadfast, you have to announce your assurance. What do you mean, Pastor? That means there's times that we have to proclaim the promises of God. There's times that the world and everybody around us needs to hear us clarify our confidence in who God is. They need to hear us declare that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. They need to hear us say, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. They need to hear us clarify our confidence in the fact that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. They need to hear us declare that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. If you are going to be steadfast and immovable in this present day world we're living in, we have to, like Paul, announce our assurance, proclaim his promises, and clarify our confidence in the God that we serve. Hallelujah. Number two. Number two. He announced his assurance. Here's the second thing he did. He proclaimed his purpose. Listen to verse 24. Here's what he said. Do not be afraid. The angel said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. You know what Paul was saying right there? God is going to use what's happening in my life right now to get me where I'm supposed to be. God is going to use this stormy voyage to take me right where he wants me. And you know where? You know where Paul was going to end up? Paul indeed was going through this storm, was going to get to Rome. And it was there in Rome that Paul would find himself in a prison cell. And it was there in that prison cell that Paul would be chained to a prison guard. And he would write in Philippians 1 and 12 that these chains have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. You know what Paul's saying right there? In the midst of what I'm going through and in the midst of what's happening, God is using what's going on in my life. God's using this storm to take me where he wants me. And that's why Paul made up his mind, I am not going to be moved. Why? Who else could write and say, be steadfast and be immovable? Paul understood what it meant to be steadfast, to be firmly persistent, and he proclaimed his purpose that you will stand before Caesar and God will use this to further his purpose for your life. And I wonder, I wonder, if maybe where we find ourselves at this present moment, what we're going through right now, I wonder if God is not using what we're going through to get us where he wants us. And if you study it out, Paul would end up in a jail cell in Rome. He would pin a letter 
to another church in a place called Philippi to a group of people called the Philippians. And there in that jail cell, Paul would write this letter to the church at Philippi, and he would say things like this, and being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He would write things like this in Philippians 4 and 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He'd write things like this in Philippians 4, 6, 7, and 8. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, uh, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue there be any praise, think on these things. He'd write this in Philippians 4 and 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul proclaimed his purpose that God was going to use that storm to get him where he was supposed to be. And from a jail cell, the gospel would be furthered. People would be blessed and people would be encouraged. Listen, if you're going to be steadfast and immovable in these days we're living in, you have to announce your assurance and you have to proclaim that God is is going to fulfill his purpose through your life. Number three, Pastor Tony, come on, I'm getting ready to land this, sir. Number three, here's the third thing Paul did. He kept functioning in faith. Somebody say faith. He kept functioning in faith. Listen to verse 25. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. Did you hear what he said? Take heart, men, because I believe God. Listen, sometimes the only thing you have to hold on to is faith. And there are times, listen, when you may not see anything change in which you got to believe anyways. There are possibly going to be times that it gets worse before it gets better. But you got to believe anyways. There are times that you're going to feel like you're spinning your wheels, you're beating your head against the wall. You feel like your worship is wasted, that prayer is pitiful. But you got to believe anyways. Because, see, we don't live by what we see. But there's times we have to function in faith, and we just got to keep believing. We got to keep trusting. And Paul understood that I'm going to be steadfast here. And if we're going to be steadfast, we've got to keep functioning in faith. Here's what he said. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. I'm hard-pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed. I, I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm Persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. He gets to verse 10 and says, Always carrying about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus, so that the life of Christ might be made manifest in my body. That's faith right there. That's faith. When he looks all listen, when he looks all around him and he he doesn't deny the reality of the situation. I came up with this little saying years ago when I first got started in ministry. I don't, I don't have many, many 
sayings. I had a guy text me the night, and he was trying to correspond with somebody. He said, listen, I need a, I need a Travisism. I said, I don't have a Travisism for you. I got some common sense you probably need to use. And I just, the Lord just dropped this in my heart years ago. Faith is not blind to reality, but it is confident in God's ability. Listen, you, you can have all the faith you want in the world. Look at this pulpit and say, that pulpit's not there by faith. That pulpit's not there. That pulpit's there. So faith's not blind to reality. You can go to a doctor and get a report, and you can say, I don't receive that report. It's a lie. Well, no, that's what the report says. The report may say you've got whatever you have. And I don't believe that report, that, that, that they're wrong. No, that's the report. But faith, faith is not blind to reality, but it's confident that the report may be bad, but God's ability is bigger than the report. Hallelujah. God's healing power is greater than the report. See? And he kept functioning in faith. Listen, he said, I'm hard-pressed, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed. I'm confused, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but God hadn't left me. I'm struck down. I'm down. I've been beat. Listen, you read it. A day and a night, he said he spent in the deep, whipped, stoned, left for dead. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. It's not over. Because I know in whom I believe and I'm persuaded is able to keep that against which I've committed to him. I know in whom I believe. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep me until that day. Hallelujah. Here's the last thing that he did. He announced his assurance. He proclaimed his purpose. He kept functioning to faith. And he helped himself with hope. Somebody say hope. He helped himself with hope. Here's what he said, verse 22, or verse 20. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Verse 22. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you. You see what he did? He was a carrier of hope that day. He said, take heart, there'll be no loss of life. An angel of the Lord appeared to me and said, it's a dangerous thing when a man or a woman loses hope. Because when you lose hope, you give up. And hopeless people do extreme things. And there's maybe people here today and you find yourself in a situation that appears hopeless. But I want to I tell you something today. I came as a carrier of hope to tell you that it's not over. You've got hope because God is for you today. And if God's for you, nobody can be against you. Let me see if I can get this right. It's been said that you can live 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, but you can only live about one second without hope. David wrote these words, and I'm closing in Psalm 42 and 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Then he said this, four powerful words. Hope thou in God. 
For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Which means I've got hope because God's got his eye on me. God's looking at me. God's turned his face toward me. Paul would write in Titus 2 and 13, I'm looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. He's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day, he said. Hope. Listen, there are no hopeless situations. There are only men and women that have grown hopeless about the situation. You know why I know situation's hopeless? Because if God is involved in the situation, there is no hopeless situation. There's only men and women that have grown hopeless about it. But I came by today to help somebody understand it's not over. It's not hopeless. God's for you. So today, I just want to tell somebody, because the Lord sent me by today, completely changed my course of direction for this message today, and just sent me by to give you three powerful words. Don't be moved. Don't be moved by what you see. Don't be moved by what you feel. Don't be moved by what you hear. Don't be moved. Don't be moved. Well, Pastor, how do I do that? How can I be steadfast and movable? I'm going to tell you today, announce His assurance. Proclaim His promises. Clarify, clarify God's word in the midst of this world. Proclaim your purpose. What's that purpose, Pastor? God's going to use wherever you are right now to get you where he wants you. Proclaim your purpose that all things, all things are working together for good. Keep functioning in faith. Even when you don't see it, believe anyways. Even when you don't feel it, believe anyways. Even if listen, it gets worse before it gets better, believe anyways. Here's the fourth thing you do. You just help yourself and help somebody else around you with hope. That's, you know, that's part of my goal the, the next half of my life is if the Lord gives me 80 years, let's just say he gives me 80 years, I've got 39 left. I just want to be an encouragement and a blessing to somebody. I do. I get pastors and preachers and stuff that text me and call me all the time. And by the time either we're done texting or talking, here's my goal. My goal is to leave them with a sense of hope that God's got a plan and God's got his hand on their life and God wants to do something great in them and through them. And I try to say, listen, I'm happy for you. I believe in you. You're going to do a great job. Listen, help yourself and help somebody else with hope. There are hopeless people that you come in contact with every single day and they're wavering. They're not steadfast. They're wavering. They're weak. Listen, help them. You can help yourself with hope. How do I do that, Pastor? You can just find yourself a little corner somewhere and say, God, I know you've got this. God, I trust you today. I know it looks bad. I know it looks bleak, but you know the end from the beginning. I declare all things work together for good. God, I thank you that we have hope today. Come on, stand with me this morning, would you please? Don't be moved. Would you say that with me? Don't be moved. Say it again like you mean it. Don't be moved. I want to say it one more time. Don't be moved.
Let's do something else. Can we just participate a little bit today? I know you're not accustomed to this. We're going to do it anyways. I feel like we need to. I want you just to raise up one or both of your hands, and I want you to declare. You ready? I want you, I'm going to tell you what to declare right now. now. You don't have to participate. That's fine. But I want to build some faith here right now. Instead of saying, don't be moved, I want us to say, I won't be moved. Are you ready? I won't be moved. Say it again. I won't be moved. One more time. I won't be moved. People come and people go out of your life, but don't be moved by it. Man will fail you, a man will let you down, a man will disappoint you and hurt you. Don't be moved. People will lie about you and slander your character and talk about you. Don't be moved. A doctor may look at you and shake his head and say, I'm sorry, there's nothing else I can do. Don't be moved. You may see things that cause you fear and worry and anxiety, but I want to tell you, don't be moved. You may experience great loss in your life, but don't be moved. You may sit down to do your checkbook every week and you're a faithful tither and giver and you've got more bills than you do money. I want to tell you, don't be moved. Listen, I've been there. I've done that. And that's not some preachy thing. I've lived that life when it was tight and I had more bills than I did money. But I kept tithing. I kept giving. I kept doing what God told me to do. I refuse to be moved. Don't be moved. I want you just to raise up your hands in this place. Come all over this place. Hallelujah. And I want you just to ask the Lord to infuse you today with courage. I want you to ask the Lord today to infuse you with hope. And if you're here in this place today and you say, Pastor, I'm at a place in my life right now. And I am I'm wobbly and I'm wavering, not spiritually now, not, not, your, not your, your, your relationship with Christ, but just your faith today. And say, Pastor, you've been talking to me today. I'm, I'm just, I've made up my mind. I'm not going to be moved. Listen, there's some of you today, everything you see contradicts everything you know. Oh, Lord, help me. Listen, that's a freebie for you. What do you mean, Pastor? Everything you see with your natural eye contradicts everything you know this word says. Here's what I want to tell you today. Don't be moved. Every, everything you feel contradicts everything you know this word says about the situation. Here's what I'm telling you. Don't be moved. Don't be moved. Hallelujah. Listen, I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know who this is for. But I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not counting to three today. I'm not begging. I'm not groveling. I'm not pleading. I'm not going to try to, I'm just going to tell you if the Lord's speaking to you today and the Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart, and you say, Pastor, I just want to come to this altar and I just want some folks to pray for me and help me and encourage me today. Pastor, I need to come because I just don't want to be moved. I need to be strong, Pastor. But I'm, st listen, it's okay to admit that you're weak. Oh, can I help somebody for just a minute? It's okay to admit you're struggling. Listen, the Apostle Paul did it. I'm hard pressed, I'm perplexed, I'm persecuted, I'm struck down. See, we come into church and we dress it up. Tie it up here. We buckle it up here. Put some cologne on it. Put some makeup on it. Put a dress on it. Come in here and smile like everything's okay. You know, here if there's one place that we should be able to be gut level honest, it's in the church. Come on, come on. 
Well, we don't, we, don't, we don't want people to know we're weak and struggling. Well, why not? I know what you're thinking, because they'll go out and talk about me. That's a risk you take. But there's a church family, and there's people of God that come alongside of you and pray for you and help you and encourage you. Listen, I just said, there's some people today, you're, you're weak. I don't mean that you're weak, that you're just you're a wimp and you've given up, but you're just, your faith is weakened today. Your, your walk, your resolve, you just feel weak. I want to tell you, don't be moved. 